Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to a special episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, we are doing something that we have never done before here on Piecing It Together, a hundred and something episodes in. We've done a bunch of special episodes here and there. We, of course, did our Oscar predictions. We have done special follow-up episodes on a particular movie. We've done Breaking It Apart, which are backwards episodes. And uh, we've done interview episodes. We've done a bunch of different kinds of specials, but this is something new. Uh, so, see, we have this Facebook group called Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about on the show. And of course, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has come up many, many times over the past year since uh, since it came out uh, this past summer and then has been a big part of the conversation leading up to this weekend's Oscars. And uh, when is a Tarantino movie not a big part of the conversation? Always, of course. Uh, but one thing that we've noticed is that the opinion on this movie, it's not just a matter of good or bad, love it or hate it, or any of that kind of thing, it is it is love it or loathe the movie. I mean, just absolutely think it's terrible. And it just so happens two of our many time returning co-hosts are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. We've got Joe Black, who is actually the co-host on our main episode about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which if you haven't listened to, you should pause this and go listen to and then come back to this. But Joe loved it. And then on the other end of the spectrum is Chad Clinton Freeman, who absolutely hated it. It's his least favorite Tarantino movie. I think it was his dead last on his ranking of all the movies he saw last year. He hated this movie. So... It was proposed, I'm not sure which one of them, I, I think it was Joe at first, and then uh, we were going to let it slide for a while, and then Chad was like, we should do that. And so, here we are, we're finally doing it. It was proposed that we have a conversation that I moderate of the two of them stating their case for why it's a great movie, why it's a bad movie. So, we are going to go back and forth. We got a whole bunch of points to hit, and uh, we're going to have a great long conversation about why this movie is great, why this movie is bad. Uh, it is an interesting thing to talk about and to do it in this way. I think it's something we should do again in the future. It, it was a lot of fun. I do want to say, though, that we had quite a few uh, connection issues while we were recording this one. It's an early morning recording, and I don't know, something's in the air, and it, it gave us quite a bit of trouble. So there may be some issues sound quality-wise here and there, especially towards the end of the episode. Uh, but I think I did a pretty good job of cleaning it all up. So I, it's not going to get in the way too much. So sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation. Like I said, make sure you've listened to our regular main episode, getting into the the puzzle pieces and inspirations of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And if you've already listened to that and seen the movie, then I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. All right, so with us today, we've got two people from completely different ends of the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood spectrum. We got one person who loved it, that is returning co-host Joe Black, and one person who hated it, that is returning co-host Chad Clint Freeman. Joe, Chad, how you guys doing? I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I am great. I'm uh, yeah, I'm tired too. I'm dragging these two out of bed to have a battle. 
<laughs> An early morning battle. Chad has the advantage. It's almost lunchtime over there. <laughs> That's true. Chad, but, Chad, you should but, have had yourself your coffee already. Nice little breakfast. <laughs> What's going on here? But for me, see, at 10 a.m. Um, is uh, is not 10 a.m. probably for you. Um, I, I was telling uh, Dave earlier that uh, I usually sleep till like 4 p.m. on a Wednesday because I'm <laughs> off. So, yeah, it's pretty early. <laughs> Oh boy, I I, I feel uh, I, I feel like I'm just making you do these these <laughs> awful things for the sake of podcasting for good quality content. So we're today going to, of course, talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, a movie that Joe was the co-host on when we did the episode a few months back, and Chad was supposed to be on it, but <laughs> he, he had to have a, a, an emergency eye surgery. How's your yeah. eye doing, Chad? Oh, I'm 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 doing a lot better. Yeah, okay, so good. that's good to hear. Um, but once this movie came out, I mean, what Tarantino movie doesn't have controversy around it? But, you know, one of the things with this movie is it seems that a lot of people love it and a lot of people just absolutely hated it and hated it for reasons that the people on the other side don't really seem to even recognize for the most part and, and like think that they're complete non-issues and it's made a really weird back and forth around this movie uh going into the oscars coming up this weekend which is of course nominated for a few things and i i think has a chance to win some stuff uh but even you know with aside from that just in the regular conversation around the movie there's so much back and forth and so many different sides and so i think you two are going to really uh you know, really represent those mm -hmm. sides in a really great way. I want to get started, though, with uh, initial thoughts, what you thought of the movie um, when you got out of the theater, when you finished seeing it for the first time. Uh, let's start with you, Joe. You were already on an episode about the movie, but let's tell people what you thought about it. The first time I saw the movie, I didn't know what to make of it. It was, you know, I, I said on the episode, Tarantino, his movies they're usually very thematically driven, but they're all genre movies, um, war movies, Westerns, what have you. So he knows how to hit those, those genre beats very mm. satisfactorily. And this was the first Tarantino movie that was not a genre film. So there were no typical beats to hit satisfactorily. And, mm -hmm. and this was completely thematically driven. There was no story. So I didn't really know how to take it in. And it wasn't until the third time that I absolutely fell in love with it. Once I understood what kind of film he was making and I was able to navigate it uh, under his terms. And uh, by the third go round, I was just head over heels in love with it. And Chad, what about you? I was uh, extremely disappointed. <laughs> that was uh, my reaction was disappointment um i was uh really really looking forward to this movie all year long and then it didn't satisfy my my want for a tarantino movie and it did not do what i felt it should have done i it didn't it didn't uh i feel like it sets up a, a ending that we should get and then it doesn't deliver that ending and I feel like it uh, just uh, does a lot of things very very wrong that I don't feel Tarantino necessarily was intending to do what kind of ending mm -hmm. what kind of ending do you feel it was setting up well I feel like that the the movie totally sets up an ending that should see Rick with Sharon and Bruce Lee going to the compound and actually killing Charles Manson. That's the ending that I wanted. That's the ending. It would, would totally like that's where, and, and, and pussy pussy is the other character. I feel like that you've set up these characters that are going to give us something that we don't get that's that's what i feel you wanted you wanted it to flip the history uh in a way that it, it sets up these new characters as heroes that go and change history in 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 a very specific yeah way. but but it, specifically i i feel like that you you've got characters that go nowhere otherwise I mean, you, what's the point of Bruce Lee being in the movie? There's no reason at all. I think he, he purposely 
throws him in there expecting you to want that ending and then he doesn't give it to you and to me i i I was unhappy with that so i i guess i can see where you're coming from chad and by the way i i failed to mention at the at the top of this uh i definitely fall in the love side of things so i i'm you know i'm going to try to be as impartial as possible in uh moderating this uh but I, i i see where you're coming from uh, but of course I, to me, I think it's the movie is about these main characters and not about, you know, the, the whole Manson thing and getting, you know, revenge on Manson or whatever, which is what I think a lot of people thought it was going to be going into it in the first place. I'd say it is though. I mean, because the, the, the last half of the film is just a brutal bloodbath of, you know, killing mm. hippies. So. <laughs> the trailer itself definitely sets you up for a more Manson heavy movie. Um, and you know, but that's marketing's fault. You can't hold that against the movie. And I, but I don't agree with, uh, the idea that Bruce Lee serves absolutely no purpose in the movie either. I think that from what it sounds like before you even saw this movie, you had an idea in your head of what the movie, what you wanted the movie to be. And I mean, a movie not being what, I don't know, a movie being something other than what you wanted it to be doesn't mean it's not a great film. And I find the the ending, you described the ending of the movie as a bloodbath, but I don't think, again, I don't think that that's the point. I think that there are other things at play that, that are you're just kind of not paying attention to or that you're ignoring. Uh, you know, the first line of the film that Rick has is in, an, in a clip from his show, Bounty Law. And... Uh, and the first line, somebody says to him, he says, geez, Rick, do you ever take them in alive? And Rick says, not when there's three of them and one of me, you know, and it's not a coincidence that at the end of the film, they take out three of Manson's cult and that it's Rick's stuntman who does all the hard work. And then Rick himself is the one who gets the money shot and all the glory from it. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff like that going on in the movie and, 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 that's why I think that repeat viewings are necessary for a movie like this, especially when you come into it like I did, bringing all of your Tarantino baggage as well. This isn't a, a revenge fantasy like Inglorious Bastards or Django Unchained. That's not what this is. I mean, I, I totally agree that, uh, you know, your expectations of a film, if if a movie doesn't uh, necessarily meet them, doesn't doesn't make it a bad film. Um, but what, what I feel is, uh, this, this, this movie, just one, I, I feel the whole Bruce Lee scene. I feel it takes a lot of viewers out of the movie completely. Cause I feel it's a, a, a bad caricature of Bruce Lee. Um, and the fact that, uh, Brad Pete, Brad Pitt, uh, his character, uh, beats Bruce Lee up is, uh, just totally laughable. And I feel that, uh, it, you know, making it a fantasy scene, uh, you know, it's a flashback or whatever. So it's obviously in, uh, you know, Cliff Boo's uh, mind. Uh, it's still, it, it, it doesn't fix it for me. It, it totally uh, throws me out of the movie. I think this did this for a lot of people. Well, but um, why not though? Because I mean, I I think it's why doesn't that why doesn't that set of context for you? I, I well, I I think it's it, it, I think it's just a bad bad representation of Bruce Lee, and I think it's a uh, a bad. Um, uh, I, I I feel like it's you know it, it's pretty much a racist uh, representation, right? From a, from an aging cowboy who was in the Korean War from somebody who doesn't like the guy. And then the next two times you see Bruce Lee in the film, he's warm and loving and helpful and informative. And, you know, like, but from this guy's point of view, that's who Bruce Lee was because he doesn't like it. Right. But again, that that's the problem with the movie altogether. It, it, it is from the point of view of angry white man who can't control what's going on. And to me, I think... I, I, right, I, who gets lost in obscurity in time. But it's hard for me. Okay, I, I'm okay with people being righteous in films, but I have a problem when it's when it's white men. I don't know why, but I do. I 
that doesn't work for me. And I think that if you look at Tarantino's movies, yeah. when he has righteous people, the two movies I do not like are Inglorious Bastards and this one. Um, I'm totally cool with the righteous people of, I mean, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction, obviously it's Jules. Um, with uh, Django, it's obviously, uh, well, I mean, Django is the one, though, that uh, is the hero. It's just there's something about this film of it being from the perspective of an angry, <laughs> aging white man. It seems very pro-Trump in so many ways. It seems very anti-liberal. It seems anti-hippie. Okay, so a couple things to that. Um, one, I'm curious to know what you think of Inglorious Bastards. But two... Brad Pitt's character in the film, that's the bait and switch of the whole film. He's the person who cannot who cannot function in the way that society is changing. He can't bring himself to do it. And at the end of the film, he's like stuck in his ways and he's the one being taken off to the hospital by minorities. Um, the one of the few minorities we see in the film. He's he's not uh able to adapt to change. And Rick is, and that's why Rick succeeds and Cliff is forgotten. No matter how quote unquote cool Cliff Booth can be, like he he resents women, he resents Bruce Lee. He doesn't that thing doesn't make sense to him. He is like the typical uh, Norman Rockwell American. He is an actual cowboy. And the way that the landscape, uh, cultural landscape is changing, there is no room for Cliff Booth anymore because he's not able to adapt with the times. That's the whole point of his character in the movie. But but he's he's the hero still. I mean, it's <laughs> you're supposed to you're supposed to be cheering him but, on of killing these no, and these women. No, but these well, first of all. These women characters, the the idea of the Manson family is that they weren't hippies and that that this new idea of, of really the whole film. OK, the whole film is about how the masculine had to embrace the has to embrace the feminine for for there to be progress, for things to be better. That's what the whole movie is about and how the Manson family stalled that progress because because a conservative America that wasn't willing to adapt to the feminine uh, used them as an excuse for all hippies when they weren't even really hippies. They were their own creepy little cult brand thing. And the idea of why the murders are so violent in the film actually has very little next to nothing to do with the revenge fantasy for what they did in real life to Sharon Tate. It has everything to do with Cliff Booth's resentment of women and of changing culture that he himself can adapt to. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that his wife was a total bitch. And after did he or didn't he kill her? The only woman in his life is an actual bitch, a female dog. Right. And that like that his like, manly need to provide and care for somebody like the quote unquote typical, you know, male point of view. The only person in his life who can facilitate that is Rick, who is another man because Cliff Booth resents women. But Rick is more connected with his emotions is, is actually has feminine qualities um, that he is in denial about that Rick is in denial about. And by the end of the film, once Rick has like grown his hair long and is dressing a little more Italian and embracing a woman, his next door neighbor, like that's when Rick succeeds. I find all of that really, really interesting because um, I to be honest, I hadn't quite uh, looked at some of those uh, angles of it yet. Like a, a lot of that is stuff that is some of the reasons why I've loved this film, but some of it was kind of uh, fresh and new to me. I'm curious, Chad, had you had you considered any of that in your analysis of the movie? Yeah, well, exactly. And that I mean, that's exactly why I don't like the film, though. <laughs> because, OK, oh, wow. I feel that the film exactly the Manson murders, they were not hippies, but I feel that the film portrays them as being hippies. I feel that 
the the perspective of the film is is very anti-woman it is very anti-hippie it's very anti-change it's very macho man uh saves the day um you know white man with a gun <laughs> white man with the fist uh conquers all um and the, and that's what's so offensive about it that it um it is uh, an anti-change movie as opposed to embracing change. Um, I mean, if I, I, I don't feel it works the way that it's intended to work, or at least it doesn't for me. And I think there are a lot of people that it doesn't work for. Um, to me, it comes off as being sexist. It comes off as being racist. It comes off as being just mean and hateful. You're certainly not alone in your opinions here, Chad. Well, when is the first time in the movie that Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick, sees Sharon Tate? Do you remember? Mm. I, I I do not remember exactly. It's when he and Cliff come home, and uh, at the, uh, at the end of the first day in the film, and Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate pull up in the driveway next to him. Now, Leo is looking at Polanski, but his view is blocked by Sharon Tate, like laughing and like she, and he's like looking around her, and he says to Cliff Booth. Oh man, do you know who that is? That's Roman Polanski. He could actually be the the key to my comeback. Uh, you know, if I get invited over there for one Polanski party, then my career could be back on track. He's literally looking past Sharon Tate. Like he's looking through her to Roman Polanski. He doesn't even acknowledge her. But at the end of the film, who is it that actually embraces him and opens the gates to him and brings him over to that house, literally opening the gates to his future? It's Sharon Tate. Like something he never even like understood as being like the key to a brighter future, the feminine, because he was too busy focusing on the, on the male side of things. Cause that's how things were, you know? And again, after he does that performance on Lancer, um, when, when the director of Lancer is saying what he wants for his character's look, uh, all he talks about is a big Zabata like mustache, right? They never mention anything about the hair. And then they pull, they, they reference the mustache a few times, even saying, hey, Rick, make sure you don't eat when you're wearing that mustache because the glue's not dry. Like this idea that you literally can't take in nourishment with this overarching male thing in the way, right? <laughs> Without ruining it. But Rick also has long hair. And then when Rick goes overseas, gets a more European sensibility, gets a wife, he comes back, his hair is longer, his clothes are more feminine, he's more brighter. He's He is embracing the feminine. And there is no more room for Cowboy Cliff Booth because he's embracing the feminine. And when he kills the, the final Manson girl, the first thing he says is, oh God, Francesca. Like, he's concerned about his wife. Like, it's, I mean, it's not not there and it's not not glaringly obvious. There are some certain things that are more subtle than others, like uh, at the beginning when they walk in the direction of the bathroom and not women. But I don't think that works, though, because I mean, Leo's the one that pulls out the flamethrower and torches, you know, one of these dirty hippie women. So, I mean, I, to me, that doesn't work. I mean, Sharon Tate's character embraces him because he's the hero he's the macho masculine male again so it doesn't just doesn't work for me well well here's the thing so you say that leo is the hero but here's the thing we have been shown clearly that he's not and tarantino very brilliantly makes the murders brutal they're not fun it's not cool it's it's unwatchable how violent and angry they are. He knows how to make a fun splatter fest. See Django, see Kill Bill, see... But this is like, you don't want to look at what's going on here. It's horrific. It's horrible. And right. And exactly. so we know that 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 Rick is no hero. This is all... And there's been some really interesting stuff in here so far. I want to uh, make sure to to touch on a few other points, though, that we, we haven't really talked about. And you just uh, brought up the Sharon Tate, the walk and all that. Um, what, one of the big criticisms of the movie that we haven't touched on yet is Margot Robbie, not having enough lines that the character doesn't have enough to do. Uh, Chad, obviously you are more critical of this movie. So I want to hear from your end first, what you think about this particular okay. uh, grievance. I, I, this is one of the big disappointments of this film because, um, I think, uh, 
you know, Margot Robbie is a fantastic actress when she is given things to do and when she is actually given a chance to act. Um, it's funny because this whole Jim Carrey thing, uh, <laughs> Of course, I posted about it. Oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, Jim Carrey had the had the joke about how uh, basically that she obviously has a lot of talent because of the way she looks. He's basically saying that she's a pretty face and she's gotten to where she is by being pretty. And I feel that the only two directors that have cast her in that way, disappointingly, is Martin Scorsese. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, um, and then this film. I feel like that Tarantino and Scorsese have just thrown her in the films to be eye candy. I don't feel that Sharon Tate is given anything to do. I feel like um, it's not a good... Um, I, 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 I think she's just there to... oh. I mean, she's she's portrayed as 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 ditzy. She's portrayed as oh, you know, here, look at her pretty feet. Here, look at her pretty face, and that's that's it. I mean, there's there's not anything to the character. Again, had this character actually done something in the film? Had there been an ending where you redeem Bruce Lee's character? You redeem you 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 bring Sharon Tate's character in, make her a heroic figure uh, that's along with uh, Rick's character um, actually does something like get rid of you know uh, Charles Manson himself, not necessarily slaughter uh, you know his followers, but like take Charles Manson out, um, you've got a totally different movie. Um, and that's the movie I wanted to see. So that again, that goes back to it being such a different movie than what you expected versus what uh, it actually ended up being. But Joe, what do you have to say about some of that? I think it's hilarious because Sharon Tate, the whole point of her character in the movie is that she gets to live. Like uh, it's, it's kind of a, a play on the expectation of the ending that like we all wish Sharon Tate had lived like in real life. This is, mm -hmm. this movie is allowing Sharon Tate to live and it treats her at first. When we first meet her, it treats her as what she was at the time, which was like oogled by men and the wife of Roman Polanski. She wasn't her own like individual person. Right. And throughout the movie, her like she becomes in her living day to day when she's on her own she gives somebody a ride she she's able she goes and has a discussion about books she goes and sees one of her films and she gets to live in the glory of her accomplishments in that scene the people are enjoying her film and then they also show that like they they use bruce lee again to show that like her dedication and commitment to something as silly as that movie, you know, it she trained with Bruce Lee to get it right. They, the movie gives Sharon Tate her due as a person, as opposed to as the murder victim and the wife of, of Roman Polanski, or just like the sex symbol that they were making her out to be. She spends most of her day, not sexualized. Mm and and not like i mean that's that's very calculated it's you know when at the end of the film do you know what the last time is when we see sharon tate it's it's when she changes into her night clothes the last scene with sharon tate she's actually not even on camera right like it's it's emile hirsch talking to her off camera looking looking away looking at the past basically like like it creates the the last real moment with sharon tate is solidifying her as a memory hmm. as opposed to a functioning character in the film and and that's the love letter to sharon tate it's not only you know it actually turns her into a real person this movie um it treats her as something other than like some kind of like hollywood you know, blowhard and or sex symbol. She's the one person who is completely comfortable being herself in the film. 
and not being the expectation that everyone else has of her. Mm -hmm. Like how you see that is like just treating her as a sex symbol. I, I, I find that to be um, a really kind of, I don't even know how to describe that. Like, like this idea that she doesn't, you know, kill Charles Manson. Well, why would Sharon Tate be involved in that? You know, she was a real person Did not treat her like a real person. I think that would be way more disrespectful than, than not giving her a whole ton of lines. As they say, that seems to be a thing throughout movies in general right now is complaining about the amount of lines certain, uh, actors get especially actresses like irishmen i'm on board that argument because i i totally agree i i i think that uh especially i i I mean that's the thing is that i i I feel like this movie kind of represents uh martin scorsese in that way that he is cliff booth and and that's again that's that's my my thing with this movie is is that that like I feel like that this movie is almost like trying to take that back and say like no we are relevant when I'm just like you know just give it up um I mean a change or give it up and that's my thing with with Scorsese it's like you know move forward or or, or you know stop making the sausage fest uh gangster films <laughs> it's like move forward well so. Chad I just want to ask you, um, obviously I'm on the other side of this, but I want to ask you, I know you're a huge, huge Tarantino, uh, fan. Do you, do you really think that that is the point of view Tarantino made this movie from? I think I, okay, this is, this is my thing with this film is that the way I view this film, I don't think is how he intended the film to come out. I don't mm. think he intended viewers to see it this way. I don't t- think that he just looking at what he's done. I don't feel that was in his intent, but I feel that that's what, how the movie comes off. Uh, so regardless of the, the, the art stands for itself, and you have to to take it the way that you know you take it and 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 so regardless of his intent with the film i think that uh that's something that he himself should should look at but i know that he won't at all because he he's one of those and all great filmmakers are um you know they 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 don't do wrong necessarily um but uh I mean, I would say that this film definitely um, pissed me off in a lot of ways and made me angry. And I would say that somebody like Tarantino would be happy with that because it did evoke, uh, you know, a strong emotion. So, but I think the problem with this uh, "quote unquote" uh, woke culture is that it's so reactionary that it's that it's getting in its own way like nobody's willing to have a discussion nobody's willing to like like people are just so upset and i'm not necessarily following them for being upset but like they're just so reactive and they get as close-minded as the people that they're arguing against like like i don't how many times have you seen this movie chad oh i've just seen it once i'll never watch it again Right. So see, that's the problem. Like, no, I mean, if you're going to have an opinion, especially one as strong as that art of all places is the safe space to navigate those ideas and themes. So again, if you're just reacting to like your gut reaction of something, most times when we hear something we don't want to hear or see something we don't want to see, it's jarring and it's upsetting and it, and it throws us and it's something that we actually have to process. And by throwing up your arms and saying, absolutely not. And by, and by just ignoring it and pretending like it didn't happen because it made you so upset, that is the worst possible thing that you can do because all this stuff is in the film. The film is designed that way. And you are already coming at it with your expectation of what a Tarantino film is. So like, you know, again, you have such a strong opinion on something that you've decidedly not chosen to explore. And you dare say that Tarantino failed or that he should have done something different when you're, you, you haven't given it your, your efforts. You gave it a chance, but you didn't give it thought. Oh, I've given it thought. 
<laughs> I've given it a lot of thought. And 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 my argument on that is is that you know I mean um, I, there 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 are many things that I personally embrace and in love that others do not give the time of day of. So why should I give things that don't appeal to me the time of day? So here's the well, I have a really strong answer to that. Two things. One. Uh, I don't believe in living a life based on the things that like, just because somebody does you wrong. I don't think that like that justifies you doing wrong. I think that, that to be passionate about something is to do what you feel is, uh, right. Not to bear resentments, not to hold resentments like that. But secondly, uh, you know, you being somebody who uh, I've seen, you know, your Batman versus Superman thing. I mean, I'm right there with you. I thought that was the best movie of 2016, probably for different reasons than what you did. But like, how much does it frustrate you when people are willfully ignorant about it? You know what I mean? Like when people don't listen to reason and there's a difference between you having an opinion and somebody denying what the content of a film is. And, and so, I don't. I don't see why why you why you would take that road on this movie. Well, um, it's just again, you know, if, if something is 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 unpleasant, then why why should I experience it again? If something to me just feels wrong, why should I do it again? Uh, so, I mean, I've I've only seen the Glorious Bastards once. I saw it at the theater too. It was my least favorite Tarantino movie until this. Why? It, that's that's interesting though. Like, why was Inglorious Bastards your least favorite? It's just very, it's very high and uppity. It's very righteous. It's very, um, it's very, it, it, it's a very meta film in a lot of ways. I feel like that it, it, it's almost a commentary on Tarantino's career in one way. Um, and it's almost as if he purposely revisits uh, Jackie Brown and he revisits Reservoir Dogs. And it, it's all, I felt like the movie was a joke uh, to him personally. And then, you know, with the whole Brad Pitt character at the end saying, hey, this is my masterpiece. It's just like so just like. Oh, so dude. hokey. Okay. It's so just over the top. Um, and the and and the fact that I, I think I, I the fact that Tarantino thinks that he can rewrite history, I, I think I think I have a problem with that. Um, I don't know what the problem is, but I think I do have a problem with that. When it comes to Glorious Bastards, his whole commentary is that America in its own mind has rewritten history about its significance in World War II. Like the whole movie, Inglorious Bastards, is anti-propaganda, like in all forms. Like that's the whole point of Inglorious Bastards. That like in the movie, they're watching the movie Nation's Pride. It's a bunch of Nazis watching a movie about a Nazi, like like, and it's just relishing in the defeat of the enemy. That's what Inglorious Bastards is. That's the whole point. Tarantino drew the parallel between us Americans, modern day Americans, and Nazis. Like he humanized Nazis instead of us treating them like big goblin golems, and he made us relate to them. He what he's doing with Inglorious Bastards is what Gervels was trying to do with Nation's Pride, and Tarantino draws that 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 line very clearly at the end of the film that America is its own evil propaganda machine, and that that's what's led us in the wrong direction, and that's the point of Inglorious Bastards. Again, you've missed the point of Inglorious Bastards because you've chosen to only take it in once, but it's it's a real piece of art, guised as entertainment, and 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 so to have such a vocal, strong opinion without being without being willing to do the dirty work, I consider that a problem. I think that that confuses the narrative, the language. And that's actually, that problem is what Batman versus Superman is about. Like, so I, I find it very fascinating that you're, that, you know, I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your perspective and I appreciate your willingness to vocalize it. But one thing that draws caution for me is your, is your willingness to not engage with it while still having such a strong, passionate opinion. Well, 
it's funny what you brought up about what Inglorious Bastards is about. I feel like that that's what it is. I feel like that it is a propaganda film. Um, and uh, again, there's, you know, a very, to me, uh, unfun revenge aspect to that movie, just like um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, to me, I, I, I find it ugly. And I, But I, who were the real heroes? That, that, there's no hero in that movie. <laughs> it, it, well, see, here's the thing. In Inglorious Bastards, the bastards America gets credit for winning the war. But in the film, in actuality, what was it? The German who allowed it to happen and made the deal and the Jewish woman who will be completely forgotten because she died. She did it secretly and died in, in the process. Like that's no, the movie is not propaganda at all. Like that's the point of the movie. That's the, the very, very clear point of the movie. A Jewish woman that actually had things to do. I, I will say that I didn't find that movie sexist. <laughs> well, right. And again, like, like again, accusing like the movie of being sexist at once upon a time in Hollywood, Tarantino has more than proven that, that he believes in strong women and get like all of his female characters have either been, uh, definitive or iconic for the actresses who play them but this is the first movie where tarantino just lets a woman live where he doesn't fetishize her believe it or not it's about how the world fetishizes her but tarantino is the only person that's ever allowed her to just be her i i would disagree with that because i would say the there's enough feet shots for him to be fetishizing her in the film so there's equal shots of cliff booth there's equal shots of of rick dalton's feet everybody's feet gets featured in this movie like that it, it becomes cute after a while not, he does not, it for bare every feet, not bare feet <laughs> i don't think i see cliff's feet bare. no one wants to see cliff's feet I want to see Leo's. I mean, I, that's the thing. I do like Leonardo DiCaprio is fantastic in this. Dakota Fanning is fantastic in this. I will say that. Those are my two takeaways from this movie that I do think that both of them are absolutely amazing in the movie. So, But notice how he frames Sharon Tate's feet the exact way that he frames uh, Pussy's feet in uh, in Cliff's car. And Cliff isn't buying into the sexuality of it either. And when she starts to sexualize herself to him, that's when he becomes disinterested. Like, again, that's all, it's all by design. I forgot about pussy. Yeah, I, I do love pussy. And uh, <laughs> I didn't mean that, that way. But um, um, her character, see, the way I took it is that I, I felt that he rejected her because he hates hippies. That was my uh, taking of it. Again, uh, it, it it just feels like a very, uh, I, you know, and he, he does hate women as well. So, I mean, she's a hippie woman. So that's probably the worst of the worst. Hmm. He's amused and he likes her. He, he He's amused by her. Like he hates hippie culture because it's the end of his era. And so he builds up in his mind that what they're doing must be nefarious, like with this old man. But the old man likes her. Like the old man is totally fine with how things are going. He's willing to accept that the old ways are dying off, that right. he's dying off. Like, like that's the whole point of that scene. There, like Brad Pitt sees it as menace when really he's the threat to them. So, you know, but their inability to match him on a masculine level, you know, is what sets him off, and he beats the shit out of that one hippie guy. You know, it's 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 about that bitterness, but and and then having a shot of a quote unquote, you know, hippieish guy riding his horse to save the day to stop the you know the toxic masculinity of cliff booth like you know i mean you don't get more clear than that to me of what you're trying to say that like the new the, the old has to die because things change then 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 they could have had cliff booth die you could have he had does. his character be killed by the hippies why give him why give him his his revenge fantasy, his hatred toward hippies and women that we, we have to watch play out. And it's totally ugly. It's the worst um, that right. Tarantino's ever done as far as like uh, violence on violence. Screen. Right. And, and it cripples him. Cliff Booth ends the movie being carried away by minorities, taken off in an ambulance, crippled. Like, again, it doesn't get more clear than that. And Cliff, Cliff, the problem with he's, most he's the hero, though. 
No, no. See, that's the thing. What is his last line in the movie? He says, I try, right? Most people who have a prejudice or, or especially this day and age, without, with the exception of extremists, but the reason why we only hear about extremists is because the media needs to sensationalize things. But most people who have a prejudice, whether it be against women, minorities, uh, you know, whatever, they don't realize that they have a prejudice. They don't, they don't consider themselves hateful. They think that, you know what I mean? Like they, they don't see themselves that way. They don't openly hate things just like Cliff Booth. But at the end of the movie, Cliff Booth gets taken away in an ambulance by minorities crippled because he was not able to cope. So then when, when, when the credits roll, then is the, the story that plays out is that this uh, stunt man went crazy and he uh, killed some people and everybody is sad for this hippie cult. Is that what plays out? Cause if that plays out that way, then I would enjoy the movie, but we don't get that ending. If there was like a tacked on taxi driver kind of ending where that was the, the story that played out in media. But um, I didn't take that from the film. Interesting. But Cliff Booth is second to Rick Dalton. Like that's, that's the whole dynamic of the film. Like Rick Dalton is the lead. Rick Dalton is the leading man. Rick Dalton is the one who has to go from like cowboy who's fooling himself to a married man embracing the feminine to have a career again. Like, I mean, it's the little girl that he meets who has integrity that reminds him of the integrity that it takes to actually do what he wants to do. And Kate can commit instead of just mugging Dick around. And when he goes back to do a good job on Lancer, they very specifically hold the camera to show that there is an authoritative female feet walking, uh, walking out of the bar because now there's a female perspective on set is able to achieve his level of great acting. Well, he passes the baton to Rick though. And Rick goes and gets the flamethrower. I mean, totally, I think that that totally just nullifies any of what you're saying as far as the, the Rick character, because I think he he gives in to the old ways. He goes and gets the flamethrower. Right. When you've already got somebody dying and drowning in your pool and he just overkills. Right. I mean, well, he gets it's not an over. It's the money shot. It's the big. It's it's what people want. It's the it's the revenge fantasy moment. It's the the one part of the scene that is like funny and silly and ridiculous where it becomes a movie again when the leading man like that's the movie you were hoping for. Like no, if he that's... had flamethrown Charles Well, meaning like if he had used a flamethrower on Charles Manson, you know, you've talked about like I think you'd have liked it a lot more, Chad. It depends. It depends because the Hitler kill scene I didn't enjoy, so it does depend. Right, right. I love so the Hitler again, kill scene. So. <laughs> well, again, you missed the point of the Hitler kill scene. It's like it's happening literally in the midst of propaganda. Two other people, Americans, take credit for it. Like, I mean, like that's like Hitler's already dead. They, you know, they may have been the ones that shot him full of holes, but they were only able to do that because the German allowed it to happen. Mm-hmm. Well. I, I want to ask one last question and then we'll kind of get into some closing thoughts on this. Um, but my last question is I, I noticed a lot of people uh, on like my Facebook timeline and, and Twitter and stuff like that who didn't see it in the theater and then watched it for the first time at home and in the middle of the movie are posting on Facebook, finally watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood man is this slow i'm curious about you guys's takes on on that on on this being a slow movie what what do you think about that chad i i i don't think it's a slow movie um you know it it, it's got some great moments in it um I, i just wish it had more uh i think this is a movie that's about 45 minutes too short um hmm. that's my opinion uh you could develop Bruce Lee's character, actually make him a person. You could develop Sharon Tate's character. Um, you could, I mean, I think if you take away the, 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 the Rick, uh, flamethrower element, then I think 
what Joe's saying about the movie uh, could could more so work, but I think um, I, I think there's more to be explored than the film gives us. I think the the film recreates uh, the time period well. I think it does a lot good. There are a lot of scenes that I do like a lot. Um, I do enjoy the scene with Brad Pitt and Pussy in the car. I do love uh, the scenes at the ranch. I do love the the Leo actually acting. Uh, I, I think more of that, um, and it would be a, a stronger film for me. Um, I mean, maybe if we explore what happened afterwards, maybe that gives it a different aspect. Or if what happens goes in a different way, I think I would like it more. But yeah, it's not it's not at all a boring movie. I mean, that's the thing about Tarantino. It doesn't matter what the movie is. I mean, Once, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not boring. Um, and Glorious Bastards is not boring. It doesn't matter what the movies are. Um, his movies are never boring. Mm-hmm. What about you, Joe? What do you think about that that particular criticism? Chad and I can definitely agree that Inglorious Bastards is not boring. Uh, <laughs> Inglorious Bastards, in my opinion, is greatest American films ever made. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the reason why I don't think it probably works for people watching it at home is because when you watch things at home, you're we've been conditioned pretty much in general now to contain them. Like it's it's all like sensory overload. Um, television, especially, is designed to keep you like glued to the tube. You know what I mean? To keep you like coming back for more. Um, so I, this movie is not a plot-driven or sensation-driven movie. It's a thematic-driven movie, which we don't get those kinds of movies anymore, uh, tradi- really. Um, so at home, I don't see how this movie could work at all the first time. But that being said, my parents saw it for the first time at mm-hmm. home with people who are trying to watch it at home. As far as, I mean, uh, Chad Chad was weaving in some, some of his, like, more, like, what I think were going to be closing thoughts on the film. Um, and his hangups, uh, like the idea of Bruce Lee being more of a fleshed out character, to say that, you know, I mean, Tarantino creates the perfect context for why Bruce Lee is portrayed the way he is in the film. It is Cliff Booth's resentful, angry memory of this guy that he didn't like. But then to ignore the other times we see Bruce Lee as informative, warm, helpful, and a key to other success, like is to completely ignore the whole point. Um, and again, the flamethrower thing is to draw a parallel to World War II, and that is the parallel he's trying to draw to the to the uh, to the end of the film when he torches a hippie in the like. That's the whole point. It's supposed to be an awful because it's so far from what the reality of the situation is. That's the whole point. End of the day, it's about how Hollywood celebrates that and gives time and credence to that reality of a situation fits better into their narrative like the whole point of the movie and if you didn't get it you didn't get it but that's not not the point of the movie and that content is it's all there and uh that is undeniable whether you liked it or not is fine but what he was doing what his point and purpose was is brilliantly and meticulously put together just like it was in inglorious bastards Inglorious Bastards, though, had the benefit of being a genre film, so he's able to hit those genre beats for mainstream audiences. He's able to satisfy those beats, and it feels more like a fun, engaging blockbuster. Mm-hmm. This movie has the has the uphill battle to fight that he is decidedly going against that grain. And to me, that's a bold dare move for him to make uh, as a filmmaker. I really do. I don't think this is his best film. I think Inglorious Bastards is a better film. I think that Hateful Eight is a better film. But this movie is more of me uh, in a lot of ways than any of his previous works. I think there's a lot of interesting points on uh, on both sides of this. I think this was a lot of fun to do. Uh, I think I'm going to have my work cut out for me with editing because <laughs> of our connection problems today. But I'm really glad we finally did this. Uh, we had been talking about it for for quite a while now as always i just want to thank you two for uh being on the show warning do not listen while hungry hi my name is stephanie barajas host of all rice no beans a podcast all about restaurants and the people behind some of your favorite spots to eat where we talk about how they started all the ups and downs and my favorite part the food and drinks 
Ooh, and let's not forget about the desserts. So subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow me on all social media because I have the pictures of all the food. And if you want to be on my podcast and you're a restaurant owner or in the business, email me at allricenobeanspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, you were warned, don't listen while hungry. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, If you enjoyed that, please let us know. We would love to know what you think about these kinds of special episodes that kind of break from format. We're going to do a lot more of this over on our Patreon, actually. We want to keep our main feed mostly all regular episodes, although, of course, we're going to squeeze in some like this every so often. But if you do want to hear more of this... uh, let us know. You could tweet at us at PiecingPod. Uh, of course, join the Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. You could email me. Our our contact is on the website, PiecingPod.com. Uh, but yeah, we, we'd love to hear from you. You could, of course, also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Uh, Podchaser is a great way to get in touch, too. Uh, we're starting to really use that a lot more and connect with uh, lots of our our collaborators and other podcasts and all that kind of stuff. It's a fun site. So connect with me over there too. And that's a great way to get in touch with me. So, uh, yeah, we, we always love hearing what you think of the show. So please do, uh, please do be in touch. So that does it for today. Uh, make sure you're subscribed for all of our upcoming episodes. We got birds of prey coming next week. We got Sonic the Hedgehog coming. We have our, long in the can jojo rabbit episode which has been sitting comfortably on our patreon for all our patrons but uh it's going to be hitting the main feed uh, i think it hits vod the 24th maybe and so it'll go up that day we also have color out of space we just recorded which that's going up around that time too that's when the vod hits too so that'll be out soon so lots coming your way uh so please make sure you're subscribed to wherever you listen to podcasts so let's uh, leave you with a piece of music as we always do and i think a nice fun upbeat kind of track uh is a song called head on fire from my album head like fire uh so enjoy this piece and we'll be back with more piecing it together coming up real soon
and All Points West. All right, we're, we're rolling again. Oh. We were recording that whole time, but we're rolling again now. <laughs> so, so you- now a car is about to hit Joe, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you guys heard that? Oh. <laughs> yeah, like loud. <laughs> I barely heard that. I was telling, uh, I was telling, I was telling David uh, that I feel like I'm in Unfriended 3, uh, the podcast uh a special, you know, uh, <laughs> edition. <laughs> and now Joe's getting well, hit by a car. So 